Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Critical Q&A for uh, this Sunday edition. Let's make sure that all is well. There we go. Okay, good. And uh, hey, Exxon, nice to see you there. Uh, excuse me. A uh, little tiny bit of thunder here in Denver so far today to answer your first question there. Uh, hey, hey, Pa Mom. Uh, always happy to see my critics showing up here uh, for the Sunday morning uh, live stream. Uh, yeah, we'll just kind of get going here. Um, I wanted to start off by letting you all know I did a presentation last night, a little, little small one here in Denver at the Secular Hub, on um, this topic, influence, uh, the psychology of persuasion. This is a uh, this. Well, I read this book this week. Uh, this was uh, part of what we studied on our coercive control program. Were bits and pieces of this, but I decided to take the whole thing on because I was going to do because I did a presentation on the subject of, of persuasion and uh, manipulation and the what's called the um, the influence continuum, uh, which is not from this book actually. The influence continuum is a scale and chart put together by Margaret Singer and Yanya Lalich, uh, who, by the way, you will be seeing on the Sensibly Speaking podcast in the next week or two. I had a great talk with her. Uh, so the people who put that, that together published that in a book called Cults in Our Midst. And uh, between that chart, that continuum, and the data in this book, um, I put this talk together, and it was... Quite a lot of fun. I haven't done a PowerPoint in a long time, so I put one together for that. And I thought, what I now that I've kind of told you guys what, I, what this was about, I wanted to know from everybody, hey, everybody coming on board here, uh, happy to see everybody. Um, I wanted to ask you guys uh, if you thought this would be something you'd like to see uh, in a live stream next week. If I were to arrange on Wednesday or Thursday to go live, and do this little this little talk on how to manipulate people, <laughs> how to influence people. Uh, would that be something you'd be interested in? And I was thinking maybe I should frame it as something along the lines of how to do that, how how you can subconsciously influence people, uh, as opposed to how to stay away from predators who are trying to influence you. Right? There's this sort of uh, what's going to draw more people. <laughs> Right? And, I, and I think that uh, putting it out there as how you can secretly influence others might be uh, something that might um, draw more attention than uh, protect yourself from all those awful predators. The very, very interesting thing about this and the thing that, that sci when I get sciency and I kind of get into the academic stuff, and this is not an academic book. This actually is a very well-written, very popular book. But when I start getting into the into the research and the literature and stuff like that, um, I, uh, I I always start getting this this kind of more cold, calculated view of humanity and people, right? And how um, and how how push button we are, right? We're not, you know, this whole free will issue and what choices we have in our lives and what choices we're free to make, you know, you really start, when you really, really get into the thinking of people and really trying to break down what is it that makes us tick, you really start seeing how limited so many of our choices and ideas are and how we sort of lie to ourselves a lot. But that's not a popular thing to tell people. <laughs> Most of the time, people want uh, to be reassured that they are right and um, and that everybody else is the problem. <laughs> And I don't know that that's always uh, quite the objective truth, you know. Uh, anyway, I always like to encourage people to, you know, think while it's not illegal yet. Uh, but some people, uh, yeah, you too can be a cult leader. Exactly. How to be a cult leader in 10 easy steps. Uh, anyway, yeah, this influence stuff is a lot of fun. We had we had a talk about it on Friday night uh, here on the live stream with Mel and uh, went over a few of these points, and, uh, and of course, the full presentation will we'll get into a lot more. Um, <clears throat> oh, now, this is an interesting question, Fabian. I might need you, thank you for the super chat question, to kind of kick things off as we are doing critical Q&A now, so go ahead and start firing questions at me. Um, 
Would you mind using chapters in your videos like you're completing? Oh, other content depth is great. Um, oh, yeah, I do on my Q&A shows now. I don't know if you guys noticed. Um, just to answer your question, Fabian, about um, two or three months ago, I think it was, I started breaking down in the description section of the videos Eat the timestamp on each question and a quick little, you know, couple word uh, description of what the question covers. I'm not doing that for my live stream shows because live is kind of so fast paced and and all over the place that I don't break it down that way for the live shows. But for the regular Q and A shows, I've been doing that. As far as other chapter stuff, um, I've noticed YouTube kind of doing that automatically, but uh, so I didn't know that it was necessary, but I can definitely look at um, perhaps making some notes during my podcasts of my own as to maybe sections or, or uh, things that might be you know useful title breaks or something during the, during the show, if that's what you're, um, if that's what you're suggesting here. Um, yeah, I have no idea what my competing YouTube channels are doing. I don't, I don't go into that too much, but interesting. Uh, so thank you for that, Fabian. I will, uh, I'll see what more I can do on that. It's really, it's just so damn time consuming. Um, okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, Xcyan asks, I enjoyed your Sensibly Speaking podcast with John Atak yesterday. I always learned so much from the discussions. Where did you learn all that information both you know? Um, research. I mean, a lot of the stuff on uh, that we talked about in the podcast about moral foundations were from Jonathan Haidt's book called The Righteous Mind. The emotional data from Lisa Feldman Barrett's um, you know, Theory of Constructed Emotions. Um, and uh, lots of other papers that I've read. I got, I got well, here I'll, yeah, I got stacks of papers. <laughs> these are, these are all, uh, uh, papers on emotion. Uh, what is emotion <laughs> and things like that, right? Uh, behavioral processes, uh, issue 60, <laughs> And here's the Klein-Gina and Klein-Gina um, 1980s uh, academic paper giving 96 different definitions of the word emotion. You know, stuff like that. I uh, just plow through that stuff. Uh, and now I've gotten, by the way, this last week, I finally, finally got my access uh, to the literature again, to all the databases and information via the university. So I am super, super pumped about that because I've been having, it's been a little bit of uh, feast and famine trying to get my hands on uh, academic papers since I graduated. Uh, and some people have very, very, very kindly helped me with that. You guys know who you are. And I want to thank you for that. But now I finally got full access again. So pretty happy about that. Um, yes, yes, Fabian, of course, I would agree that not everything is equally interesting for everyone. Um, okay, so Anthony asks, if, uh, if Jane Doe sued, Jane Doe's sue the church, would they have a shot? Um, yeah, Anthony, they are suing the church and they do have a shot. Uh, there is a, uh, civil case that is now moving forward. Uh, now that the Danny Masterson criminal trial is over and he's been, um, you know, con uh, convicted, he's been, he's going to get sentenced, I guess, uh, coming, uh, coming up in August. And then the civil trial is now going to move forward and it's going to go slow. I mean, with the prediction, at least from Tony and I is that it's probably going to move forward pretty slowly because Scientology is going to do everything it can in terms of pre-trial motions and all of that to slow everything down, starting with an anti-slap motion. Apparently, they've uh, communicated that that is their intent. So, um, so that, for, that suit is against Scientology, the Church of Scientology, as a named defendant, and Danny Masterson as a defendant. Uh, so, yeah, Anthony, yeah, we have, we've, uh, yeah, so that's happening, and uh, we are... Um, we were quite thrilled about that. But like I said, don't expect uh, fireworks this year or even next year. It's a long process doing a civil trial against Scientology. At least they overcame the arbitration barrier. We're not going to have that bullshit coming up. Uh, so we are pretty happy about that. But um, 
But otherwise, we'll have to see um, how this rolls out. Yeah, I did see something about this. Uh, the, the XIN asks here, a Kenyan starvation cult preacher, Mackenzie, has been accused of convincing hundreds of worshipers to starve themselves. Have you seen this story in the news? I have seen the story in the news, but I didn't go deeper than looking at the story. So I, I don't have any other commentary for you on that right now. I've um, My attention has been on other things this week. I'm sorry. Um. I was paying attention on Friday. We talked about that sex cult, that orgasm meditation cult, uh, and how they have uh, been uh, arrested <laughs> uh, by the feds uh, going after them for labor trafficking and how excited we are about the fact that that is a non-religious cult, very Nexium-like, um, that is now being prosecuted on uh, lines very similar to coercive control and what that is with the with the labor trafficking and and uh, psychological torment and various things that they're charged with. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how that rolls out. All right, Laura asks question. Uh, Chris, where does David Miscavige live? Does he have his own home or does he live on a base? He has numerous homes. Uh, David Miscavige has apartment facilities or maybe even home properties. I don't know. I've never heard of him having a house. Um, what I have, what I do know about and saw firsthand is uh, he has apartment facilities on every Sea Org base or everywhere he goes. For example, uh, in Big Blue, uh, which I can speak to directly, the fifth floor of the big main building that has the Scientology sign going across the top of it, that building is the dorm building for all the Sea Org members on that base. There's two buildings there where all the Sea Org members live, that building and another one called Lebanon Hall, which I think is seven or eight floors. And the main building is what, five, six, seven, eight, nine floors, something like that. Well, the fifth floor of that building is dedicated to upper rank Sea Org members, specifically the CMO and above. Um, RTC have their birthings there in that floor. It is the top flight, most cared for, nicest quarters um, on that base. Uh, and I was only allowed on that floor once. <laughs> when I was on the RPF, if you can believe it or not, because we, had, we were doing some renovations on that floor. That was the only reason we were there. And the entire time we were there, we had to have a CMO person watching us so that we didn't get off and engage in any shenanigans. Uh, so, oh, of course, so sorry about that. How could I have forgotten to throw the chat on? My bad. Thank you for reminding me. Um, so Miscavige has an apartment that takes up half that floor. That's where I was going with all that is half of the wing one wing, in other words, of that building is CMO, executive, senior quarters. And the other half of that wing is David Miscavige's place. And when he's on the base in L.A., that's where he will stay. He also has another apartment, apparently fully decked out, behind, in the building behind the author services building, uh, which is, I believe, on a Hollywood Boulevard near the um, Grauman Theater, the old uh, Grauman Chinese Theater that I think they've renamed now. But that, that about a, a couple blocks up from there is the ASI building, the Author Services building. And behind that building is, it's connected. There's some sky bridge or door or something. And, uh, and apparently Miscavige has an apartment over there. I'm sure uh, at the flag base there is a similar setup uh, probably in the Fort Harrison or in some other building around that base, there is some place where David Miscavige stays and it's kept, you know, dust-free, perfect, you know, perfectly cleaned and, and pristine condition uh, every second of every day so that if he pops in, he has a place to go. Um, so that's, and then of course, over in the UK, it's going to be the same thing. There's, they have their castle building, which is their service building, and they have the St. Hill Manor, 
And then there's staff quarters somewhere around there. And uh, Miscavige probably has a place he stays regularly. Maybe it was even built for him. I mean, who knows? But anything's possible when it comes to that kind of thing. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, there we go. The El Cadiz Apartments. They bought the whole building, I assume, just for him. Yeah, that would be it. Um, okay, let's go ahead and see what else we've got up the line here. Sorry that I um, did not prep better to throw the questions on the screen today. That was my bad. All right, Bo Beats asks, do you plan on publishing a paper in regards to that emotional needs, moral compass, etc. talk you had with John the other day? It was very interesting. Uh, yeah, eventually I do. I want to move uh, the ideas that I presented in the podcast with John this week have to do with my kind of evolving concept of why we act the way we do you know it's um after i after i answered the question for myself of why did scientology happen to me (laughs) and what was it that happened to me that took years of work as i broke down right here on this channel i mean if you go back through my videos you'll get the answer to that question too Uh, across all kinds of different, uh, you know, sort of approaches or viewpoints or or whatever, right, in talking with psychologists and even neuroscientists about this stuff, really answering that question. But then the next question is, well, okay, so if that's what happened to me in Scientology and this is what happens to people in cults, what? why are people acting the way they do? What? What drives this behavior? Why do people go into these extreme mindsets? Why do people, what drives them to act the way they do? This model of behavior I put together, I think, is interesting and uh, certainly explains things for me. And we broke, and I broke it all down on the podcast with John this week. So I have talked with other academics about this model and how does one go about studying, researching, verifying, you know, validating. A model for use would you know what use would this have in a therapeutic setting could be quite a bit if we break down emotional needs for people and start slotting in how they are satisfying in their life those emotional needs you know a lot of people don't even know they have emotional needs <laughs> and they don't even realize that their morality comes from within and it has something to do with them and that their moral foundations are something they can they can actually change if they so desire. They don't have to be stuck with, well, God said it, and that's the truth, and that's all there is. That There's a lot more to morality than that and to our choices with that, and that's kind of some of what this model presents. So maybe it could be used therapeutically. Maybe it could be used uh, behaviorally. Maybe there's other uses for it. I certainly don't want it to be used to sell things to people, you know, and that tends to be what you know, influence uh, psychology is mostly mostly used for. It's to is to take advantage of you guys, and uh, and I I kind of hate that, you know. So I'm hoping that there will be future work down that line. Um, I've got a lot of other pro- I ain't promising anything right now because I've already made that mistake. I'm fulfilling promises right now and getting this tone scale video done and then the metering video. Uh, Those are my top, top, top priorities right now. I put that all aside in order to do this thing this last week, but I'm going to be picking it back up again this next week. All right, let's see what else we got here. If I missed anything, just throw it back in the chat for me. I'm going down the line to see what other questions you guys are asking. Um, Okay, I just talk going down going down the list. Uh, nobody from home nobody home here asks, are you able to make ends meet with from only your excellent video work across various media? Um, yes, I am barely <laughs> to be completely honest and this is not I'm just gonna answer the question. Um, I, I didn't put anybody up to this, okay. <laughs> Um, it, it is not the rich life doing this. I am barely making ends meet doing this work, but it, I can't imagine doing anything else. Every time I've ever thought about it, it, um, it, you know, it just appears very, very, very unrealistic and impractical for me to do something different than this. But this is not, I'm not getting checks from Big Pharma or Big Psych or uh, anything. The anti-cult battle the uh the the education work that gets done on youtube is the least remunerative 
uh, for the most part, as opposed to, you know, cute cat videos and faces on tomatoes and music videos and, and prank videos and things like that. That's where people go and, and for whatever reason, pay tremendous amounts of money to support uh, the work I do gets very little support. So uh, I have made it work for years now. I've added consulting to my repertoire. I'll, I'll remind everybody out there that is something that I do and I very much enjoy doing and apparently I'm kind of, you know, I'm decent at it. So, um, so that can directly help people one-on-one who need it. Uh, with and that's not therapy that is consulting okay I'm not, I'm not it's not even like a nudge nudge wink wink thing it's like no I ain't doing therapy I'm doing consulting it's it's not life coaching I'm not being uh, you know go get them I help educate inform advise listen you know that kind of thing um, so that's kind of how I'm making a living these days but it is um, it's it's not the easiest life Okay, next question. Excyan, uh, when a predator tries to use subconscious ways to get you, are they addressing what Scientology would call the bank? Huh. A Scientologist would think so, yeah. Um, the reactive mind in Scientology is the collection of past traumatic episodes containing pain and unconsciousness that you have experienced or any episode in your life that triggers those pa- incidents of pain and unconsciousness. In Scientology, they call those uh, incidents of pain and unconsciousness engrams. And those are supposed to be stored very carefully in a section of your mind called the reactive mind. And this, Hubbard says, has mass and energy connected with it, but we don't necessarily have to go there for this answer. Um, Then you have your analytical mind, which Hubbard later said is basically just you, the spiritual entity, the Thetan. Uh, It's not like you have another section of your mind that that is the analytical mind structurally. It's really just you. Um, And then you have various pictures that you create and machinery that you create with the mental energy to do things for you, make calculations, do stuff like that. So the subconscious impulses, the things that compel you to act in the here and now, come out of those engrams. They are the things that have force and, and can exert effort and even pain against you Uh, in order to get you to avoid those same circumstances again. You know, you get bit by a dog, and you're going to avoid dogs in some kind of fashion at a subconscious level for the rest of your life because these engrams are going to tell you to. This is the theory. Sounds somewhat sensible until you really start breaking it down and thinking about it, and you realize it doesn't make any damn sense at all. A trauma doesn't work that way. It's very, very different. But Hubbard's assertions are what makes up Dianetics. And, um, and in Scientology lore, L. Ron Hubbard actually even tried to take advantage of these subconscious impulses that he said exist with his own marketing. This is why the book, Dianetics, The Modern Science of Mental Health, has a volcano on the cover. That volcano is supposed to be re-stimulating or drawing on the trauma of the Xenu incident in order to compel you to be drawn to pick up the book and read it. And there are other images that are used on other old Scientology books of guys in white suits with helmets and uh, uh, angels and um, uh, a caveman and uh, spaceships. And these images were very carefully uh, worked out in order to re-stimulate your past trauma from old civilizations, past life stuff, again, to compel you to be interested in the Scientology material. So even Hubbard wasn't above using this stuff uh, for his own gain. And, uh, of course, Madison Avenue would do the same thing if they thought if Dianetics really worked and this is how you could get people subconsciously or subliminally interested in, uh, in things to buy them, Oh, we'd be surrounded by re-stimulative material all the time. And Scientologists look at advertising material and, and 
That's how they describe it. They go, oh, these sexy women or men are just re-stimulating your sexual impulses, which are right out of your reactive mind. And uh, this iconography or these symbols are somehow meaningful because they are re-stimulating some past life use of those symbols and that kind of thing. So kind of fun, kind of fun stuff. Uh, there's, a, there's a pretty long answer to a short question. But uh, yeah, they would definitely call that the bank. All right. Uh, oh, boy. All right. Well, I gotta, guess I got to pick up this one. Anthony asks, uh, thoughts on Trump being federally indicted? Will we see a former president behind bars when he is gone? Will MAGA live on in some way? Okay. Yes, MAGA is going to live on forever. Uh, that's not something that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, just like QAnon, it has gone on beyond Q. Uh, this is something that, you know, is a normal sort of behavior for groups like this where they coalesce around some leader figure, but then the leader gets taken out of the equation and the group carries on. They elect either a new leader, find somebody else to follow, or they just move on um, and leaders kind of rise, as has been done in the QAnon movement. You can find various um, sub-leaders have kind of risen and taken over different factions of it, you could say. It's, uh, it, you know, pretty typical behavior. Uh, as far as my thoughts on Trump, I'll tell you straight. You guys know how I feel about Trump ever since he first announced uh, he was going to go up for election back in 2015 you know, or 16. I was like, hey, guys, I see red flags here. I, I really, 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 this is not even a political thing. I, I just see L. Ron Hubbard redone here. I'm really concerned about that. Um, all my concerns sort of played out in real time, uh, you know, and as far as I'm personally concerned, January 6th was an attempt at an insurrection, and I was uh, horrified, horrified by that. Now, as far as Trump and these documents, apparently um, serious people, uh, Bill Barr, for example, other high-level government officials, even the National Review, the board of the of the the National Review, yesterday issued an art, uh, uh, published an article that said they were horrified by the charges in the indictment. Uh, and that even uh, Bill Barr said if even half of this is true, Trump is absolutely toast. Um, we're talking about nuclear level secrets. We're talking about nuclear response secrets. I mean, this is the highest level stuff you can get. And if this stuff was literally just sitting around in his bathroom and he was non-cooperative with giving it back to the government for months and had people moving it around to avoid agents going and looking for it, that's, that is really, really serious. Um, you know, I can't sit here and say he's absolutely guilty of it, but his character tells me he is. Um, in the same way, you know, we, we can say Danny Matchison was guilty. I mean, we weren't there, but why do we all know he deserves to be in jail? Because we understand the character of Danny Masterson. I believe I understand the character of Donald Trump. I believe all of us do. And, uh, and so I don't have any big, wide questions as to his guilt or not, but we'll have to let the process play out. In the meantime, uh, we're already seeing both sides line, doodly lining up and everybody losing their damn minds, and I'm trying very hard not to. Um, you know, it's just another kind of thing. Uh, but this having been a former president, you know, it's pretty big deal and it should be a pretty big deal. And every single person who disagrees with it is going to say this is disturbing because, you know, we're setting a precedent of a former president being politically, ideologically prosecuted, which is total horseshit. And please stop saying that. You know, classified documents in your bathroom is not an ideological attack. I just, you know, the, 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 that's where we start getting into that emotional needs thing and people having to invent reasons why this was okay. It's not okay. It's not okay if Biden does it. It's not okay if Clinton does it. It's not okay if Hillary did it. It's not okay if Trump does it. And if they all did it, they should all go to jail. Okay? So that's how I feel about that. 
Uh, so yeah, we will definitely see MAGA uh, continue to live on, though. It's too big. There's too many people involved. And the struggles that are represented there are not just about a cult of personality around Donald Trump. There's a reason that happened that is beyond that guy. Those red hats signify more than that. And while there are racist components there and there are some off, some pretty awful stuff represented there with the neo-Nazis and that kind of thing, it's undeniable. Those guys are there. But those guys aren't all of it. There's other struggles and there's other reasons people are uh, backing that, which don't have to do with that kind of awful. And we can give some of those people a break, but... Um, but as far as Trump goes, I mean, if you're still following that guy, I, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, okay, so thank you for asking me, Anthony. I hope I didn't lose half my viewers right now. Uh, <laughs> all right, just got to say, say it like I see it. Um, oh, oh, thank you for this, Love, for, love Fool Kitchen. This is a great uh, response on that Miscavige question. Um, uh, oh, thank you, RR, for that super chat, by the way. Um, so they did a floor of St. Hill Manor for the VIPs when they did the renovations five or so years ago, which is where he should stay, but I understand he stays at the Savoy in London and travels to East Grinstead. That would not surprise me at all. Uh, David Miscavige is always going to have the best of the best. Uh, I would be amazed if he flied commercial. I, I, no way. Absolutely no way. Uh, I would be. I would guess he fly. He would charter jets before he would even fly private. Um. Yeah. Thank you, Julian. I know it is a little frustrating sometimes with the money thing. Um. Oh, Laura Waldi asks. Uh, sometimes people feel the only way out of something is suicide. Has anyone looked at suicide rates among current or ex Scientologists? Is it common? Um, I would not say it's common. It definitely, definitely happens. I think cancer deaths are a little more common. And I will remind everybody, Tony and I both talked about this uh, site that has now been put up for people to go report deaths that they know about from Scientology. So check that out. I'm sorry I don't have the link here uh, today. But, um, but look that up because it's worth, if you do have knowledge of Scientology deaths, they're actually trying to put some data, a database of that together and compile actual statistics. Um, okay. Yeah, okay. So uh, Honge Matador asks, do you believe the story told by Charlie Narn, who interviewed LRH on the Apollo in 1968, where LRH allegedly admitted that he felt trapped in the church that he created? Hard to say whether it's true. Uh, John Atack has commented on that interview as well and said that Hubbard admitted that he liked to get the smart ones or something along those lines, making him making the reporter that he was talking to aware that he knew this was a con and he was purposefully wrangling in people, you know, the smart ones, the guys he didn't really like that he would look down on. There's also this statement about being trapped in the church. I've heard of that as well. And do I believe it? I have a hard time believing it, to be honest with you. I know John endorses it, and Charlie doesn't particularly have any reason to lie, but it just, I have a hard time believing that L. Ron Hubbard gave up the ghost, get, you know, admitted what he was doing to a reporter on the Apollo. I, I just can't see how that's possible. But then again, L. Ron Hubbard was kind of all over the place. So could it have happened? Of course it could have happened. I need evidence. I, I need more than a guy's word on that, though. And, I, and I've always been doubtful about that one. My take. Uh, okay. Oh, Pinball asks... Uh, is Scientology generally politically right-wing on economics, given the exploitation of staff and hatred of the state itself? Yes. Yeah, they are. Very, very ultra that way. Uh, Hubbard, in fact, is sort of all the way over to no taxes. Uh, no nothing, right? Like, I don't want any of that. Uh, it is an infringement on rights. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is so 
left wing, it goes back over to the right or something. I'm not even sure anymore. But what I can say is that Hubbard absolutely positively hated to cow tow or be submissive to any authority. He thought he was the ultimate authority, and, and pretty much that's kind of where it goes. All of his political or ideological statements go in that direction of escaping control, escaping being told what to do, having to pay any taxes for any reason of any kind. L. Ron Hubbard didn't want to have anything to do with any of that and, um, and avoided it like the plague. It was all his money and that kind of thing. And that attitude rubs off on lots and lots of Scientologists. And there are attitudes of even exchange there's there should not be a welfare state there shouldn't be handouts we shouldn't be helping beggars or homeless people there is a very very severe strain of that in scientology and that is part of what feeds a lot of the conspiracy theories there by the way all right let's um let me go down here real fast and make okay rr thank you for the super chat how can you tell when your church has crossed the line into destructive cult? Great question. Um, and it really has to do with your choices and with what happens if you're trying to leave. Those would be your two big red flag, you know, obvious things you can look at or ask yourself straight away. What choices do I have? Remember Yanya Lalich and I have talked about, or you might have seen her uh, discuss bounded choice where the thing that cults do or predators do is bind you. You can only do this or that, or you can only do this, and there is no or. If you're finding your choices in your life, in your social networks, in your belief system, in your worship, in your words, in your actions, if, the, if your church is binding these choices and hold, basically holding you down in some fashion, prohibiting you in an excessive way, getting in the way of who you can be friends with, stating who you cannot be friends with, what you can or cannot say in terms of language, in terms of what beliefs are okay or are not okay, and they become rather authoritarian about this. They start getting a little overbearing about it. Those are huge red flags, huge, uh, which really should cause you to take a second look at what you're involved in because um, once you start giving a little, they only take more. This isn't a case of uh, benign groups don't take from you. Destructive cults do, and they will demand more and more and more, and it starts small and gradually grows. This is how we are influenced. <laughs> Um, then there is the question of what happens when you try to leave. Are they gonna? Are they even Stephen? No big deal. Turn the other cheek. Come and go as you please. Or is it if you leave, there are going to be consequences, and there are going to be consequences you don't like. We're going to shun you. We're going to give. We're going to natter, or we're going to say bad things about you. A natter, Scientology word. Uh, we're going to, uh, you know, bitch about you behind your back. We're going to stalk you. We're going to make sure your life is worse as a result of you leaving. We're going to make you feel bad even for leaving. I mean, if, if they really pile on with this, um, if they engage in what might be called manipulative kindness, love bombing, right, if they're coming on real strong, uh, these are all big, big, big red flags that you want to get the hell away from. There are other benign groups and churches and organizations out there where you can express your, your religious ideas and beliefs without having to deal with all that bullshit. So that, those would be the very first things I would say to watch out for or look for RR. And thank you very much for asking me that question. All right, let's come back up here. Uh, great questions today. These are really good. Um, all right, here we are. Here's where we were. Okay, Christian. Hans Christian Schwartz asks, Judge Almeida seems to have set up Vicky Paberetsky for one hell of a bashing when the civil case resumes. Your thoughts? I am not sure how much of what occurred in the Masterson case can be brought over into the civil case 
or if the civil case has to be tried on its own terms. That's the only question I have about transfer of information or events from one to the other. Uh, any legal eagles out there would have to uh, chime in on this one because I don't know. But that question has been raised. I've seen comments already that seem to indicate from people that maybe that might not be possible. However, knowing what we know... Somehow that information could definitely be gotten into that civil case if it gets in front of a jury or if it gets, you know, to trial. And that would absolutely be um, a stellar example of how Scientology has been stalking and harassing the defendant. So clearly we're going to, you know, that, that's got to get over there somehow. But I don't know how, I guess, is what I'm sort of saying there. Uh, okay. <laughs> if I were offered the COB of Scientology position, would I take it? Yes, I would. So that I could dismantle it. <laughs> that's all I would do. I mean, you know, they'd have to know that's coming. Uh, if somebody put me in charge of Scientology, I would dismantle it. And I would return the money and uh, as much as I could. And I would burn the PC folders and that would be that. Uh, that's, that's what I would do. Uh, okay. Um, yes, uh, pinball does bring up a good point here. A, a while ago, someone asked if the Scientology cross was a sword and you argued it likely wasn't, which I agree with. He did, however, write Excalibur. So I wonder about that afterwards. That was a good point, uh, that was made after my answer that I hadn't considered, right? Is that Hubbard does write a book called The Dark Sword or Excalibur. And there is a sword image, obviously, or a sword connection there with Hubbard and his early ideas on philosophy. Um, so could the Scientology cross represent a sword? Yes, it could. Of course it could. But we find a much more plausible explanation, I believe, that's not reaching quite so much and is a more direct connection with the Rosy Cross, the Rosicrucianist Cross, and its use in the Order of, of the Golden Dawn and the, by the Thelema, the, the Aleister Crowley's works, which Hubbard was so obviously and heavily inspired by that it seems the connection is easier to draw to that, and I would still argue uh, for that. Um, but yeah, definitely could not ignore that, that good point on the sword thing. Um, okay, moving right along here. <laughs> I hear you on that one, Juliana. Um, Bolsonaro there. Okay, moving right along. Okay, question, the paw mom. Our family left the JWs years ago. My sister and I have major anxiety for as long as we can remember. She thinks it could be our life as a JW and the pressure and fear from them. Thoughts? Uh, of course. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are a destructive cult with an apocalyptic message of death and destruction for most people on this planet. And there is um, you know, rampant and excused child abuse in that group. And, of course, there is shunning, there is a, um, uh, a pushback on medicine, if I remember right. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things wrong in the JWs that are traumatizing or could be traumatizing. And I would highly recommend, if you uh, have the means or ability to, uh, if, you're, you know, if you do have a major anxiety going on, to, to reach out for some therapy. Uh, it's out there, and there is anxiety and trauma-focused therapy that is really helpful uh, in the right hands or when you find the right person to work with. Sometimes it can be a little bit of a shopping experience trying to find the right therapist for you and the right treatment modalities, but I highly recommend availing yourself of that. If you can't, then I really, really recommend, and even if you do go get therapy, I, I really, really recommend also availing yourself of any educational materials on the subjects of anxiety and trauma. There's a lot out there. Body Keeps the Score. There's uh, some very interesting stuff from uh, Alexandra Stain, who I've had on my podcast about attachment theory and trauma and um, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Love, Terror, and Brainwashing is the name of her book. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. So there's, so there's a lot out there, more than there ever has been, on 
on how to deal with the trauma and anxiety from an experience like that. And so, um, so I would, I would definitely nudge you in that direction, Paw Mom. Uh, all right. Oh, don't apologize for asking me questions, Pinball. Uh, he says here, third question, what do you make of extreme centrists? Most centrists don't tend to go for evidence-led policy, but what benefits establishment vested interests? Well, uh, I would say that uh, extreme anything is probably not a good idea. That uh, would be my first answer on that, because you all know how I feel about extremism. It tends to cut off critical thinking. Uh, because you're so committed to a cause, you're so committed to an idea that you don't allow yourself to question it anymore, or you just don't, it just doesn't even occur to you to think maybe there might possibly be something maybe possibly wrong with this. Oh no, not this. This is the most vaunted, incredible, perfect knowledge ever, (laughs) right? Whatever the topic. I would push back on anybody uh, pushing extreme anything. So there's that. And then as far as, um, yeah, evidence-led policy is difficult because uh, everybody has their own sort of ends that they're trying to get to. And so what might be or might appear to be really good policy for one person is going to be heavily criticized or doubted by another you know, in terms of um, where it's going to go, what kind of prediction for positive results it has, and what people think are positive results. You know, some people, like I guess these extreme centrists you're describing, don't want change. They just don't want anything to change. And, uh, you know, and one big problem with life is that it's constantly changing. <laughs> the one thing that never changes about life is that it's always changing. So uh, people, you know, in a, in a fairly, and, and there's no like, you know, heavy criticism. It's just kind of seems like a pretty obvious observation that if you're trying to conserve things all the time, you're going to have, a, you know, a life that's going to have to get used to failure because life doesn't want to keep things the same way. You know, it, it wants to progress and evolve and change, and it will. Uh, despite any efforts to hold it still, you know. So uh, anyway, so that's kind of a philosophical, uh, I guess, answer. Okay, let's keep going here. All right. Um, Okay, we did that one. Did that. Okay. Just looking for the next one here. Okay, I'll just talk about Bolsonaro now. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Thank you, Hans, for that. Um, yeah, I know. Right, Cyan, Ronald Reagan's uh, campaign slogans, let's make America great again. Yeah, what's old is new. All right, JF has a super chat question. Do you think that the church of Scientology will publicly break with Danny Masterson now that he's been convicted, or is it too risky for the Church of Scientology miscavige? I enjoy your work. Thanks. Okay. Thank you for that first super chat, JF. Um, and I will say that um, I don't think the Church of Scientology has much of a choice but to break with Danny Masterson, but I don't think they have to announce it. I don't think they're going to talk about it a lot. You know, the, the, the public statement that they did issue, which we did a live stream on a week or so ago, um, very clearly avoided the whole thing about Masterson. It was all about how Scientology was railroaded, and I think that will be the brunt of their efforts now is just talk about how they're being victimized, you know, run a little Darvo on the, on the public at large, right, how they're the victims really, and how Scientology is what's being prosecuted unfairly here in total violation of the First Amendment. And I think that's going to be where they're going to try to go as far as, um, you know, in the long term or whatever, that, uh, Dan Masterson is a convicted criminal. Scientology policy is, could not be more crystal clear about this. I mean, it just couldn't be. If you are a criminal, you are not allowed to do Scientology or be involved with Scientology, period. And if Miscavige wants to go cancel all those policies, well, okay, 
but they they are there and they say what they say and there are a few of them they are littered throughout scientology it's not just one or two policy letters where hubbard wrote this stuff so it would be the most hypocritical thing they have ever done to continue to support danny masterson as a convicted felon it just would so I don't see the church, you know, moving forward in a way that they're going to be supporting him. However, they're in a real pickle, aren't they? Because the entire Masterson family is quite tight. And I don't know where the Mastersons are at, the, that whole family, as far as if they're going to cut Masterson, uh, Danny, out of the family now. Or are they going to, you know, are they going to go with what the church, the direction the church wants? Or are they going to, you know cut and run or are they going to be you know present solidarity with danny only as long as the civil case has to roll out since their church of scientology and masterson are both the defendants in that civil trial maybe they can't afford to cut him loose yet but eventually they're going to have to um they, they, i just don't see that they have any choice um, but as far, but, but when they're going to do that or how they're going to do that is what we will be watching so carefully for, uh, cause it's a real little landmine, uh, minefield that they've got to now that Miscavige has to navigate right now. And I don't know, you know, he's, I'm, I'm told he's a pretty smart guy, but you know, this is uh, this is a difficult one. So it's, a lot rests on handling the rest of the Masterson family to do what the church wants. And how successful they're going to be at that is anyone's guess right now. If they mishandle it, like Tony and I were talking about last week, then they create, as, not, uh, as Tony was also discussing first with uh, Danny Masterson's former stepfather, Joe Ricci. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Anyway, as he said, um, if they mishandle the Masterson family, they're going to have five or six Leahs on their hands, right? Newly created. And they don't want anything to do with that. They don't want that. So, but Miscavige so mishandled Leah and so mishandles some of the other celebrities that have spoken up and that he could end up screwing this whole thing up for Scientology. And if he does... You know, good. That would be amazing if the entire Masterson clan decided on in mass, you know what? Screw Scientology, right? Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm, probably not going to do it, though. One wonders about what other blackmail material Scientology might have on those Masterson family members over the years. You know, there's a lot of, there, in other words, there's a lot of circles within circles, you know, at play here. It's very Machiavellian if you really start breaking it down. Okay, uh, so great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, X-Sign asks, have you read the Foundation series by Isaac Asimov? What do you think of the character Harry Seldon using psychohistory as a model to predict the broader picture of the future in probabilistic terms? This is such a timely question, X-Sign, because I was just watching a bunch of videos about the Foundation series, and it was bringing all of it back uh, from when I read it as a young teenager. I loved the Foundation series, loved them. I thought they were brilliantly inspired sci-fi, and I loved Harry Seldon and his uh, whole plot and plan uh, with the Foundation and the Second Foundation and the... You know, and the um, what was it? The the uh, mule. Anyway, that the the char the the mutant character. Anyway, it was absolutely wonderful stuff. Uh, not exactly the most exciting read of books ever. Kind of a lot of con lot of you know talking, but um, but really really good stuff. I very very much enjoyed those. I would. Um, it would be amazing if you could put together a mathematics of predicting social movements to a, a degree that you could be that sure of where things are going in 100, 200, 300 years. Uh, all right, let's keep going here as we're moving, moving right along. Um, yeah. Oh, those foundation books were so good. All right. All right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, Yonga Matador asks, when the LRH named the brokers loyal officers, was he tacitly acknowledging them as his successors? Like all things LRH-related, it's hard to get to the truth. It is. It's all just conjecture for us because unless you were there and know the entire accuracy of the paper trail, you know, who knows? Miscavige asserted that when L. Ron Hubbard died, Pat and Annie Broker, who had been the ones who had been caretaking and living with Hubbard for all those years that he was off in exile up in Creston, California, Hubbard, an issue came out stating that they were loyal officers and basically on the track to take over running Scientology. And then, suddenly, out of nowhere, Miscavige issues an issue that cancels all that and said they made it all up. And it was just a power play, and they were trying to take over, and they were never anybody, and how dare they? And he got rid of them. And that was one of the key moves in Miscavige taking over total control of Scientology. And he had already been maneuvering things and uh, to get into that position, and so he was not about to have Pat or Annie, you know, come and ruin it for him. So that's, you know, so that's how he took charge. Did is that what L. Ron Hubbard really wanted? I, you know, who knows? L. Ron Hubbard was a pretty fucked up guy by the end. Uh, so who knows where that guy's head was at? I really don't know. All right, yes, please do remember to smash that like button. Oh my goodness, Joe DeSeppo, any thoughts on the Duggar thing? So many thoughts. First off, I want to refer you guys if you do not know. On the cover page of my YouTube channel, the most watched video I have ever produced is an interview with Christiana Minor, a survivor of an IBLP family, a grew a family that grew up with homeschooling from the um, uh, Bill Gothard School, the ATI, and um, and very very heavily influenced by the Duggars. And we and my interview with her was absolutely fascinating. It years ago. After we did that interview, it took us about a year, year and a half to put it together, but she gave me, or we were working with all the homeschool books that she had, and she helped me, and together we put a video together breaking down Bill Gothard's bullshit and his, and his seven principles of biblical misinterpretation, uh, and we break it all down as to how destructive and awful and cult-like this whole thing is because Bill Gothard enabled people to create a family-level cult with the father as the cult leader, uh, you know, under this banner umbrella of protecting from the darts of Satan. The mother and the children are supposed to submit to the ultimate authority and will of the father, and his na- and his, it's his way or the highway, ultimately, in any decision-making going on in the family. So Gothard thought this was very godly and very Christian, and this is how it's supposed to be. Gothard was also a borderline pedophile who would uh, sexually groom women, uh, young girls, actually, um, uh, teenage girls who he had around him. He would have them sit on his lap and touch them inappropriately and do various things, and it was pretty gross. And he avoided um, suit for this and criminal prosecution for this, and now he's dead, and the world is, frankly, a better place for it. Well, the Duggar family is all in on this IBLP methodology and blanket training and all this other crap, and we broke all that down in that video years ago. So when Shiny Happy People came out as a documentary this, you know, the last couple of weeks, I was like, good, finally, <laughs> you know, uh, from one point of view. But, of course, from another, I'm like, excellent. Thank God it's finally getting out there in a mass media way because I can't get my videos on Netflix. So somebody's got to go make a documentary about it, right? And there it is, and it's wonderful. It's this four-part series breaking down, you know, the whole Duggar awfulness. And it is awful. It's a, it's a little culty family, and the, and the whole quiverful movement and the uh, child abuse that is rampant, rampant in that uh, whole movement is unconscionable. It's disgusting what they get away with. Uh, so I am really, really happy to see the broad exposure of that. Um, but like I said, at the same time, I'm a little bit like, what took you guys so long? Right? Okay, so um, there we go. 
moving right along here. You guys are awesome. Um, let's see. I did not know that, Joe DiCepo. That is a very interesting comment you're making there. Did you know that Reagan and Trump's slogan was originally taken from Margaret Thatcher in the UK, who had the slogan, Make Britain Great Again, which was a pun on Great Britain? Um, I did not know that. But if I remember right, let me, uh, let me just check something here. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I just wanted to check and see if there had been an earlier use of it, but it looks like Reagan here in the States, it was Reagan, and I uh, guess that came from the Margaret Thatcher. How funny and interesting. All right, moving right along here as we move toward wrapping up. Juliana asks, as a Scientologist and science fiction fan, as a teenager, young adult, did you read sci-fi as a fun intellectual exercise, or was there a part of you that saw it as nonfiction? Um, a little bit of both, a little bit of both. There was, I mean, I grew up with Star Wars as most of us did, right? And how does Star Wars begin? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's the past. It's not the future. And this very much aligned with my Scientology views growing up because my dad was not shy about sharing things with me about intergalactic civilizations and how we had lived before and how there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the universe that we don't know anything about and how there are implant stations on Mars and, you know, spaceships and all this crap. I grew up with this. This is the kind of stuff I would hear from my, from my family and from Scientology. So I was very much kind of skewing, you know, a little crazy in the direction of there being all of this stuff for real. Uh, so, you know, did I think all science fiction writers were writing out of their memories? I did not. No, I definitely did not. I thought future sci-fi was future sci-fi. It was what we were envisioning for our future, not necessarily drawing on from our past. I never thought, for example, about Star Trek as something that Gene Roddenberry was pulling out of his, you know, Thetan. I thought uh, Star Trek was a, you know, amazing vision for our future. But Star Wars, on the other hand, right, long time ago. So, you know, it was a mixed bag for me in terms of reading. And I did read a lot of sci-fi as a kid. Lots. Yeah, that's it, the mule. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't 100% on that one. Yeah, from the Foundation series. Oh, that was good stuff. Um, yeah, rumor has it that George Lucas wants Star Wars back. I'm just going to say right now, I hope he gets it back. And I hope he takes it back. And I hope he just cancels. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome? I think it would be awesome if he just canceled the entire 7, 8, and 9. They were such a travesty and such a mal just a, a complete dog's breakfast of, of what he started. Uh, I would love to see uh, all of that just kind of nullified and, 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 and Lucas puts a trilogy out that actually aligns with and respects the characters and the lore and the mythology of it, uh, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, I have nothing but disrespect for what Disney and Kathleen Kennedy have done to Star Wars over the last many years. Uh, nothing. I, I absolutely despise what they have done with it. That's my own take. I know a lot of people have very, very other, you know, very different ideas. Um, it's not even uh, purely ideological with me. It's not a culture war point with me. It's a story quality point. It is, and it's, as I just mentioned, a respect for the characters, for the mythology, for the lore, all of it. I don't feel like modern writers of Star Wars have any respect for what came before them and think they can do better than Lucas did. And I'm sorry, but no. You know, you don't. Uh, it's similar to my problems with Amazon right now in terms of how they've dealt with 
um, the Rings of Power with Tolkien's work, and with the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. I feel Amazon has uh, hired people who do not respect that source material. They actually think they're better writers than Jordan and Tolkien. They think they can recreate these ideas for a modern audience instead of staying true to the lore, which is timeless and classic for a reason. Uh, it doesn't need to be rewritten. It doesn't need to be reimagined. If you have reimaginings, go write your own story. You don't have to pick from, uh, you know, otherwise well-respected, well-established, classic literature and break it all apart because you think you know better. Oh, I just get, you can tell I get really, really upset about this stuff, right? Because I really respect J.R.R. Tolkien and I respect Robert Jordan and what he was trying to do with his stories. And I don't respect what these showrunners are doing with these properties at this point. So um, anyway, that's my, you know, old guy take on that stuff. But I am hardcore, man. I am like OG Star Wars, OG Star Trek, uh, you know, and Tolkien has is timeless. I mean, t- Tolkien has is, uh, been multi-generational for, for decades and decades and decades now. And, uh, and I think we need to respect these writers for, for who and what they were trying to, to do. All right. So, um, yeah, exactly, guys. All right. So I guess <laughs> we will start wrapping up. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are on the same page with me on this. So thank you very much for coming around. I'm going to remind all of you guys again. Um, I think we will do, since it seemed in the comments that I was asking about earlier, Um, It looks like y'all want me to do this uh, little influence seminar this week, so I will figure that out. So watch for that. I will post early so that it doesn't just appear out of nowhere. I'll try to give a 24-hour notice on when I'm going to do that live stream. And it'll probably be an hour or two. um, There's a little bit to go over. Maybe about an hour, actually, I think, based on the presentation I did last night. So, So watch for that. And watch for my show with Tony, which will come tomorrow morning or tomorrow at noon, where we will recap all this stuff on the Scientology front from this last week. All right. And uh, with all of that, I will see you guys later. Thanks again for those super chats, by the way, guys. Very, very much appreciated. And if you want to sign up on Patreon, that would be awesome. Bye-bye.